Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Val, and this is Emmy. Hi. <laughs> did you see, did you like my new skates? I changed the wheels. Yes. They, it, that looks really pretty. I can't remember if, like, because there's roller blades and roller skates, and one of them is supposed to be easier. <laughs> Probably roller blades. Maybe. maybe. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it could be fun. I could see myself roller skating to work. <laughs> that would be awesome down right, the that highway. Would be hilarious. <laughs> that would be fantastic. I, I would like mm-hmm. to be known for that. <laughs> <laughs> just but you. I think that would be iconic. It really would. Just a goth on skates. Yeah. I was telling one of my friends that I like going like as a group because I'm like, I watch too many episodes of Forensic Files to be going alone, you know? Bro. <laughs> you know what I've been watching lately? Uh, crime scene cleanup videos. <laughs> Why? I don't know. It just popped With up. With all the blood? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's not very censored. No, no, no. Um, oh, my God. Yeah, I was literally, like, making my breakfast today, putting my peanut butter on my toast, and then this guy starts peeling up skin from somebody's bathroom. I was like, that was literally, like, Nothing makes me gag. Nothing makes me sick. But when I heard this man go, oh, yeah, and what we have here is probably um back or stomach skin. I was like, I literally had to like, I had to change the video. I was like, I'm eating. I just woke up. <laughs> but that like never happens. Um, but I keep watching them. <laughs> it's just like had- really fascinating. <laughs> I had no idea that was a thing. Yeah, honestly, like I could see myself doing that as a job. <laughs> like, ge- like genuinely. Your night shift. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> like if I ever had to like change professions or because I think about sometimes like worst case scenarios, you know, like what if something happens? You know, my dream job is a forensic pathologist, but that takes oh, a lot of schooling. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure crime scene cleanup is like a close second. Yeah. So <laughs> Right. It's wild. I uh, I now know very well how a human body decomposes. And it's not what you would think. <laughs> you know, I am curious now. I'll say that. It's wild. I mean, I can send you the name of the channel because they're they're really funny because it's like the best way to cope with the job. But they're also like incredibly educational and really compassionate when it comes to the jobs that they're doing, because like, I don't know if you've heard, like, I don't know the, the vocabulary word for it, but there's a term and it's for like unattended deaths. And it's a, like a, oh. a Japanese term. And, and because there's like a huge, like a really shockingly high rate of people that die alone in Japan. And it's because there's a lot of like basically hermits who just live mm-hmm. in the city, you know? And, uh, and it's also really, really common just all over the entire world, like way more common than you would think, especially in the U.S. And so like that's a big part of what they do is like they'll basically be called to different scenes, especially by like families and sometimes by cops. But usually it's by like a family member or a friend 
And a lot of the times it's people who are like hoarders or it's people who have had problems in their lives and then they pass away in their home and then they're not found for like up to a month. But that's like a huge majority of like what what their job is comprised of. And so it's like it's really quite sad, but they present it in such a way that it's like really like educational but it's also very fascinating and some of it is like way less gross because they'll do just regular like horde cleanup but then the other ones the ones I like are body decomp no I definitely am curious I'll try to find like the least gross one (sighs) all right and do you want me to just kind of hop into it I watched like one of the best movies I've ever seen yesterday. And I was like, Chris, do you want to watch a movie? And he's like, Val, have you seen everything everywhere all at once? And I was like, no. And he's like, I think you'll like it. I'll give you some facts before I go into the summary and then kind of my thoughts about it. Do you remember this coming out, right? This year or well, yes, 2022. Yeah, I remember um I remember when it came out. I remember seeing a bunch about it cuz I'm in a lot of like film Facebook groups and in like a lot of like group chats on Facebook too. So, it was like talked about like everywhere. I mean, like I feel like the hype has kind of died now, but like like I told you yesterday, even my parents watched it. So, like like when something is really really popular, Beth loves to research. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I literally came home and it was like, and I've never seen the movie, but I've seen so many stills and I've read like articles and stuff about it. So I know like some things, but um, I literally came home and my parents were like watching it in like broad daylight. It was like two in the afternoon and <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and it's like this, it was like a fight scene and I'm pretty sure there were either the hand or where it was made of dildos or there was just dildos involved yeah. <laughs> and and I just remember looking at it and going all right okay I'm just gonna grab my stuff and then I'm leaving it's cool enjoy your movie <laughs> I was like damn my parents had no idea what they signed up for at all yeah because <laughs> Beth was probably thinking that it was like because Beth loves like Ozarks and Succession and like so she's like pretty up and up when it comes to like media she consumes but when she watched that I think she was really expecting something else <laughs> <laughs> so I can't wait yeah I think a lot of people thought almost similar but sometimes in a good way it seemed like so I'm sure this might not surprise you it's an A24 movie everything is it came out in 2022 and it's actually classified as an absurdist sci-fi comedy with some thriller action elements the two directors these two people are actually known as the daniels the movie stars michelle yo as evelyn stephanie tsu as joy ke hui kwan as waymond james hong as gong gong and Jamie Lee Curtis as Deirdre. And the film uses spoken English, Mandarin, and Cantonese with English subtitles. So it had a budget of estimated 14 and a half to 25 million. And in the box office, it made almost 140 million. So this movie 
I'm going to try and describe it to you with words, but <laughs> you really have to see it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's shot like so artistically that it's just like a very fluid, almost dreamlike production, you know? So the movie opens and the camera is zooming in on the circular mirror. And it's almost as if we're peering through a looking glass. Keep this in mind going forward. We have our major players. Evelyn and Wayman are a married couple and their daughter is Joy. So we learn that Evelyn and Wayman own a laundromat together. And on this particular day, their daughter Joy visits with her girlfriend Becky. And she wants to know if she can introduce her to Gong Gong, who is the maternal grandfather. And I thought this was relatable how Joy brings her girlfriend to dinner with her parents and the parents want to be accepting, but they don't know how to act. (laughs) (laughs) And there's just like so much interpersonal comedy that comes out during the movie that really makes you laugh because I feel like everybody can relate to it. Cool. So Joy's been dating this girl for three years and her grandfather doesn't know it yet. But when he shows up, Evelyn interjects and introduces Becky as Joy's very good friend. And we can see that she's visibly hurt by that. Mm. So from the start, it's it's looking like your average family coming of age movie and kind of a strained mother-daughter relationship we're seeing. But in the background of the mother and daughter bickering over kind of what just happened, We see somebody bouncing around in the laundromat on the security camera monitors and the characters don't notice because they're too absorbed in their conversation. It's also explained that their business is being audited by the IRS and they have an important meeting to attend about it. So on their way to the appointment, her husband urgently gives her a set of instructions in the elevator saying she may be in grave danger and to follow these instructions to connect with an alternate timeline as their only hope. So, and she's like so taken aback by this in the elevator, which (laughs) there is so much comedy in this movie that I can't even do it justice by describing it to you. And she's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, trust me. And then (laughs) he gives her these instructions and he's like, follow these as soon as we sit down. Oh, fuck. They get to the appointment with J.B. Lee Curtis, who's the IRS agent. Hell yeah. And as she's, like, zoning out, listening to, like, Jamie Lee Curtis go on about why all their receipts, like, some of them are wrong and they're claiming things that aren't supposed to be claimed. Evelyn starts following these instructions and one of them is, like, to switch the shoes on her feet. And we learn that the movie works where... The stranger you act out of the ordinary, the higher the chance you'll be able to reach another world. Because I guess the statistical probability of your actions have some power type of deal. Yeah, you can just literally physically yeet yourself into a new timeline. Yeah. (laughs) So they wind up in an alternate universe where they're still in the IRS building, but they're in the janitor's closet. And he tells her that she's needed to battle an interdimensional evil. And this is before the husband dies in that reality by unseen attackers. And 
it's actually a really funny exchange between locations where at one moment Evelyn is zoning out trying to listen to the IRS agent also be balanced with her consciousness in the alternate universe in the janitor's closet and she's asking like the husband in the janitor's closet like how do I do my taxes like I don't understand (laughs) (laughs) and he's like there are more important issues like saving the universe and the lighting design I thought did a great job of illustrating her split attention we see like a glass screen crack effect go on so we literally see her mind be split between locations one (laughs) trivia fact i found that i just saw in my notes jamie lee curtis's character deirdre is actually based on a real stock photo of an irs worker and she has this like silly bob she has these glasses then like a yellow turtleneck i love that Wait, so the husband dies? In that universe. It's <laughs> it's a little complicated. So Oh, oh, in the closet universe. Yes, yes. Oh, okay, okay. So then when she gets back to her universe, is her husband there? Yep, they're all still oh. sitting at the desk. Oh. So she's going to these places in their minds, but the people oh. in these like individual locations aren't changing. Oh, So she's kind of just like possessing different versions of herself is how it works. Mm -hmm. That's pretty crazy. I like that better because then you don't have to deal with like paradoxes. In the janitor's closet, he tells her like, you'll know when to attack, be ready, like they need you. So (laughs) in her real universe, she's like super on edge now and nobody (laughs) else knows what's going on. And they're, like, at the elevator, like, waiting to go down. And she sees Deirdre get up from her desk and start walking towards them. And she's freaking out. She's like, am I supposed to attack now? And then she punches Jamie Lee Curtis in the face. (laughs) And she's like, what are you doing? (laughs) And we learn that Deirdre, in a different universe, was possessed by just someone else. And there's an ensuing chase scene as Evelyn and Waymond are trying to outrun the enemies. This same husband who's been helping her is now possessing the guy in her universe. He gets his back broken. So now Evelyn's kind of on her own in her own universe. Oh, no. So she needs to what they call first jump, where she goes to a universe where she studied martial arts. And in order to do this, you know how she has to do something like totally absurd? Yeah. So in like her earpiece, they're telling her like, you have to tell Deirdre you love her and meet it. (laughs) And she's like, I can't do that. (laughs) And then she's like, I love you. And then starts running away still. And it's it's so funny. Like the last time a movie actually made me laugh audibly was the Naked Gun movies. And I was like <laughs> actually cracking up at this. You would laugh at Naked Gun. Yeah. <laughs> Naked Gun makes me cringe. <laughs> yeah. And I love it. <laughs> I just I love how 
saving the universe is pretty much being juxtaposed with regular life problems such as divorce because Wayman's kind of torn up about his relationship with Evelyn because they've been married for a while and he seems to feel almost not like underappreciated but that she doesn't like him um what do you call it he gets papers to serve her with divorce but he's not sure if he wants to give them to her or not yet and she finds these papers and she's like what do you mean like we made a promise so that is keeping her attention also with trying to save the world and it's a really interesting discussion like on nihilism in general like we see all these different universes and we wonder like what's the point but the movie really gets into that later on so now she meets up with waymond again the time traveler or well universe jumper and he says his name is alpha waymond alpha being the first universe to learn how to universe jump so he's the one that gave her the instructions who i guess possessed her husband at the time and he's the one that's been helping her get through this so basically we gain insight that the evil one is actually a version of her daughter whose skills in the alpha universe were pushed too far and now she knows everything that happens everywhere all at once. Oh. So, yeah. She encounters this version of her daughter. And the daughter's in this form is named Jobu Tapaki. Some of the other comedy like in the movie is Evelyn's like just trying to keep up with all this crazy stuff going on. And she's like, yeah, her name was Juju Chewbacca. Like, she just can't keep track of it. That's awesome. So she finally encounters Jobu, the all-wing entity at this point. And she shows Evelyn the universe that she put on an everything bagel donut shape and says, nothing really matters. And Evelyn actually responds, though, you don't really believe that. So out of nowhere... The alpha version of the grandfather knocks Jobu down with a motorcycle. And it's funny because this version of him is still fit, whereas the original one at the beginning of the movie was in a wheelchair and acting all crotchety. So using the logic of every decision branches off to a different universe. Because Evelyn in this universe, they say she was such a loser. She has many better surrounding universes, which she can jump to and benefit from their skills. And we see a conflict where Alpha Gong Gong, the one on the motorcycle, the only solution is to kill Jobu, a.k.a. kill Joy in every universe. But Evelyn won't let that happen. Instead, Evelyn tries to jump to as many universes as she can to try to become like Jobu in order to understand her and to help save her daughter by kind of knowing what she experiences. Evelyn travels to this universe and because she knows that jobu can possess her daughter she has a daughter in a chair and she's like mom what are you doing like this is crazy and she's like you don't understand you're too powerful and the dad is like what are you talking about (laughs) because they don't understand what's going on so she's like you guys are like puppets And you're like that movie where the raccoon sits on the guy's head 
and he makes really bad food and then he starts making really good food <laughs> raccoon and she's like yeah it's yeah she's like raccoonie <laughs> and they're they start laughing they're like you mean ratatouille and that also had me dying the movie even includes a universe where a raccoon does sit on a guy's head and teaches them how to cook and then the raccoon is captured by animal control <laughs> And it's it's so funny. Like, I love absurdism, even including this. So the movie appears to end with Evelyn dying at the hands of Jobu after she shows her the everything bagel. The credits start to roll, except it zooms out and a movie star version of Evelyn was watching it on a movie theater screen. Oh, fuck. So then she encounters Jobu again and her daughter, and they experience different realities of themselves while they're kind of talking out their real-life mother-daughter issues. And Evelyn's like, why are you doing this at all? Evelyn fights that she wants to experience a happy life with her daughter, but Jobu says, good luck with that. And we do really see, though, that Jobu is conflicted and clearly hurt from their actual strained relationship. And it's almost like exaggerated because it's the same strained relationship across like an infinite number of universes damn yeah no i i got emotional at the end of this movie yeah literally once i realized that the because i knew i realized who you were talking about when you were introducing the characters and i realized who the daughter was and i was like oh no Yeah, because now I'm going to get sad. (laughs) Yeah. And another really funny bit was in one of the one of the universes they jump to as themselves is their rocks in the desert just sitting next to each other. And we see text appear on the screen as their dialogue. And it's just all running silently. And they exchange sentiments and almost peaceful. I think they appear to bond over their shared omnipotence now as they almost repatch their relationship. But Joy still purports her nihilistic beliefs that nothing is important or meaningful. And she's like, you should just go. Like, our relationship isn't worth saving. It's too painful. And it's really powerful when you see her rock roll off the cliff and but the mother rock goes after her <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> oh my god yeah it it really got me so it jumps to a universe where one of the husbands says he doesn't know what's going on most of the time but we just have to be kind to one another and live in the moment and evelyn grabs his hand and sees their life through his perspective you see so many of his memories are just filled with joy. Um, And we see movie star Evelyn discuss with movie star version of Waymond, how their life might've been if they did get married and open their business so many years ago. And he actually says, you know, in another life, I would have liked to just doing laundry and taxes with you. (laughs) So it kind of, illustrates the three perspectives on life in general like we have jobu's nihilism and 
we have Evelyn's just like living with regrets and rushing almost to the finish line. But then we have Wayman's living in the moment and appreciating like what's going on around you and just embracing it. And we see how happy he is. So as this climax of the movie is coming to a head, Jobu unleashes the bagel and it's kind of like a black hole. And it seems like the end of the universe is coming. So in order to, in a way, save the universe, Evelyn takes a lesson from Waymond, literally and metaphorically fighting with love instead of being on the offensive negative side all the time. So it jumps to kind of her changing her actions in all these universes and in the rock universe, she tells her daughter that she loves her, which we hadn't seen happen yet in the movie. Aww. Jobu is also about to walk into the black hole bagel and embrace nihilism, but it's kind of a metaphor for suicide in a way. Because mm. she thinks like it'll destroy her and then she won't have to deal with anything anymore. So Evelyn pulls her out of it. And I guess you could say the movie is also about breaking generational trauma. Because after she pulls her out of it in a different universe, Evelyn stands up to her father and says, it's okay if he's not proud of her because she's proud of herself now and the life she chose. And she also introduces Joy's girlfriend to him instead of hiding it and calling her her very good friend like she did at the beginning of the movie. And she says she doesn't want Joy to feel the way he made her feel. And we see Joy almost running from her because it's too painful emotionally. But we see her go after her and try to make amends instead of letting her run off. So this part of the movie ends with them saying nothing matters, but it's in a good way this time. And they hug each other. <laughs> the movie, it closes with a new version of Evelyn experiencing the events of the beginning and she's being grateful, appreciative of those around her and living in the moment. She makes changes to realize it's never too late to repair something that's wounded. She kisses her husband, knowing he was conflicted about divorcing her. And she just seems overall in a better mood. We even see a scene where she's like sharing a vape with Deirdre outside the laundromat. And I forgot to mention, there's even an alternate universe they jump to at times where everybody has hot dogs for fingers and Deirdre and Evelyn are in a relationship. Oh, goodness gracious. Overall, I cannot recommend this movie enough. It was such a fun watch. I almost cried at the end. Like, mm -hmm. I know you're going to have to you're going to have to help me see this right after the Zoom, man. I know. Um, it won seven Oscars, including Best Picture, and it became the most awarded Best Picture winner since Slumdog Millionaire in 2008. Wow. Dang. Yeah, people loved Slumdog. Don't know why, but people love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've told everyone I can to watch this movie. <laughs> um. Oh, I thought it was fantastic. It was exactly everything I could want from a movie. A comment about existence. Mm. Some comedy bits, 
some thriller action bits totally absurd like this is everything i could ever want that's so dope i'm officially sold on this movie maybe i finally have the motivation oh my god yeah it's so good but yeah that's pretty much what i have for my section all Um, right i'm excited to hear about your ghosty ships Yeah, yeah, I have a lot of vessels to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, don't even get me started on my ships. I've been, like, watching all these World War II documentaries lately, so this is in line with my interest, like... Oh my god, I love it. Okay. When we think about ghosts, we sometimes think of haunted objects. Dolls, jewelry, weapons, even cars are probably the most commonly cursed objects and the first things that come to mind. Maybe we think, too, of haunted locations, like houses. Small, creepy shacks in the woods forgotten by time and reclaimed by the forest, or large, sprawling mansions that feed on the sins of man. But what about ships? Large, floating platforms that were once the main mode of travel for those wealthy enough or lucky enough. What happens to a ghost that is made at sea? For this episode, my special interest is ghost ships. I'm going to explore two kind of real-life ghost ships, the Orang Madan and the Mary Celeste, um, along with some other like honorable mentions that involve ghost ships and ghosty, oceany things, um, such as a mention of a video game that I really enjoyed, um, a couple movies such as Below and ghost ship of course um and then there's a book i really enjoyed called from below by darcy coates because of course it is so firstly we're going to start with the the orang madan this is probably my favorite ghost ship story just because it is like a very solidified urban legend but unfortunately it is only a legend all of the research that i kind of had to do like during this um or like for this episode, unfortunately points to the fact that the Orang Madan is not a real ship and probably never was. Of course, the, the conspiracy theorist itch in my brain uh, that is probably just going to rot my noggin, it, it really, really hopes that there is some kind of random chemical conspiracy, and I'm just going to choose to believe that part. But... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, The first time I had heard of the ship was actually from the, I think, I think the, um, the production studio or whatever is like Dark Pictures. I'm pretty sure it's called Dark Pictures. Yeah, from like the Dark Pictures studio, because they do like what I like stupidly call like telltale games, which are like games where you have like multiple decisions to make. Sometimes you play from the point of view of multiple people and then you have to play each person's little bit in the story and every choice you make impacts what happens in the story, the options you have available to you and even how much the other characters in the story like you. And so um, they made this video game literally called The Man of Madan. So through the research, I actually found out that Orang Madan directly translated to English means the Man of Madan. 
Um, and so like I, I watched a whole playthrough about it because I don't really enjoy playing those style of games, but I love watching them. And there's literally just one YouTuber that I watch at this point, And his name is John Wolf. Shout out. Favorite YouTuber. Literally been watching him since I was like 16, question mark. <laughs> And then I don't even know what happened. I don't know if I read a comment or something, but all of a sudden I realized the Man of Madan was based off of an actual story, Orang Madan. And I really enjoy this story because it it feels just like the quintessential exaggerated ghost ship story. Um, the Orang Madan is basically, you know, a ghost ship. And, and really all a ghost ship is, is an unmanned vessel at sea. If it's sailing and there's nothing on it, that's a ghost ship. It doesn't necessarily mean that the ship itself is like haunted or being run by ghosts or that the ship itself is a ghost. The story of the Orang Madan is simply uh, that it is a ghost ship that was basically spotted by several other ships that were passing in the area, and they all received a distress message via Morse code. The message was, we float, all officers, including the captain, dead in chart room and on the bridge, probably whole of crew dead. There were a few, you know, misplaced or confused dots and dashes, and then later two words came through clearly. They were, I die. And then there was nothing else. A ship that was closest to the Orang Madan sought it out uh, and boarded the ship. And they found that the entire crew was, in fact, dead where they stood. They all had open eyes and open mouths, and they looked like they had died of fright. They left the ship after smelling a foul odor, uh, something chemical. And they, as they're sort of like getting off the ship, it explodes and sinks never to be seen again. And so it just became this popular urban legend that just kept passed from person to person, like a game of telephone, getting slightly warped depending on who you asked, but it really solidified itself in maritime history. Unfortunately, um, the name Orang Madan has never ever been recorded or written down, can't find it in any logs, and some places have like ship logs literally all the way back to like the 1700s. Um, so unfortunately, it most likely did not exist because there's no record of it from, I think, Indonesia, and there's no record of it from anyone who allegedly found it. Apparently, the ship that quote-unquote found the Orangladon is a real ship, but they don't have logs of it either. So I was like, lame. <laughs> but what's nice is I do have a ghost ship that actually exists. And existed, but Ooh. exists. <laughs> and so um, the fun thing about this one, right? So this is the Mary Celeste. I, this is the one that I sent a picture of on Discord, and at least like 2001, because that's when it was confirmed to be the Mary Celeste. And the Mary Celeste actually sank for 12 years, completely unmanned before sinking, which I think is so cool. <laughs> but yeah, so the Mary Celeste is also along the lines of just finding an unmanned ship and not understanding what happened to the crew. The difference with the Mary Celeste is that it is very, very well documented, except for the fact that they literally like lost the ship's log, which is why the conspiracy itch in my brain thinks that the Orang Madan could possibly exist because a lot of the theories are if there's like a chemical 
that was on the ship and it was improperly stored and there was some kind of reaction that slowly killed the crew. People think it also could be tied with some kind of acid or it could have just been a carbon monoxide issue. The Mary Celeste is a little bit different because the, the whole thing is well documented and it was basically, I believe, the captain, his wife, and his daughter, and then a couple people, a part of the crew. It was pretty small, I would say a maximum of like 12 people, and it was a pretty you know, good-sized ship, and they were sailing, and they left behind uh, one of their children, their son, so he could go to school. So we do have like proof of lineage and stuff. So this one was a ship that was found empty, completely empty. Um, and what I thought was really fascinating was the fact that they believe the instruments were incorrect. And so they believe that the captain thought he was like a hundred miles where he actually was. So his navigational instruments were broken. And so he thought he was one place, but turns out he was a hundred miles off. And so they started to panic because they arrived like a couple days later than they should have. And, and people that found the ship believe that they ended up abandoning ship because they saw land and they just wanted to get to it and find help because they realized they didn't know where they were. But the issue is that they never tracked down the family and nobody ever saw them again. And the Mary Celeste just sort of went on. And 12 years later, it's sunk. And I, I find that really interesting because, like, nowadays, you could never leave a ship or vessel unmanned in the ocean because it's a really high risk. It's a high risk of collision. It's a risk of pollution. It's a risk of, like, all kinds of stuff. But the idea of literally just, like, leaving something that big to just, like, go away is, like, crazy. And of course, like they look at the ship logs and it is like one of those things where it's like, ooh, the family disappeared. But it's it's like not that crazy. And like there were like even interviews with like the son just like talking casually about his family. And apparently the captain was held in really high regard. So it ended up being like more of an anecdote than a ghost story. Now we're getting into the fun stuff, right? So these ones are actual ghosty ghost stories and so so we're gonna start with ghost ship the movie which is from i believe like 2002 i put that at a two out of ten on the gore score scale because it wasn't really like it's scary but it had like very minimal gore like honestly all the gore is in the first scene which you may be familiar with because the it opens I think it's like 1950s or 60s and it's like a cruise ship right and it's just and it's floating on the ocean it's nighttime and you see that there's a party there's a lot of fanfare there's a lovely lady in the lounge singing a song in like a foreign language it's you know fun fancy free whatever and then all of these people are dancing on the deck outside and you start to see these glimpses of things happening on the ship and it feels kind of ghostly because you don't see anybody controlling anything. You start to see a wire that goes across the entire deck where there's like a hundred people out there dancing, um, even the captain, all of these people. 
and a wire that's used for some part of the rigging starts to get really, really taut. And all of a sudden it snaps, like one of the mechanisms is attached to snaps and the tension in the wire like swipes it all the way across the entire deck at waist height. And it gets every single person dancing and cuts them in half. And there's this moment where everybody is quiet. The music is stopped. Everybody's looking at each other. And then all of a sudden, people start collapsing, dying. They're splitting in half. They're trying to pull their arms back to them. You know, it's terrible. And and then this the only person that survived it was this little girl who couldn't be more than like 12. And she starts screaming. And that's when the movie just really kicks off. So then, right, it's 2002. And you're greeted with this crew who specializes in like maritime wreckage. Uh, or what is it? It's like they're they're kind of like treasure hunters, but it's like not treasure in the colloquial term. It's treasure because like if people find a wreck, they can tow it back and get money for it if it's towable at all. Um, and if it is, you can sell it for scraps or certain people may want access to that wreck. And that's exactly what happens. So you agree with them doing their job. You, you meet all these, you know, like this small crew. Of course, I don't remember their names. I used to have this on DVD and I thought the cover was really scary. Um, because <laughs> it was, I, the one I had was like holographic. And so every time you moved it, the skull would come out of the bow of the ship and I'd be like, woo. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the thing too is like, I don't remember, or like, I remember a lot of the movie because I made Brendan watch it with me like last week, but I just always associate the main like female lead character with one of my mom's ex-girlfriends because they look really similar. <laughs> Yeah, so you meet this crew, and it's a crew of about five, and you can tell they've been doing it for a long time, and it's one of those things where it's like, oh, yeah, we'll do this one last job, and then we're all going to be rich, and so they're approached by this, like, dorky guy who's like, I believe that I found this ship from my satellite imaging, and I want you guys to take me to go get it and reclaim it and bring it back. And he's offering like an exorbitant amount of money for them to like split between themselves. Um, and so they're like, heck yeah, let's go do it. One last job. Am I right, fellas? And so, of course, they go and everything starts to go wrong. They go on the ship. People start falling through floors. People start tripping, seeing things. And then all of a sudden something happens and the ship that they arrived on basically gets set on fire. And so then they're all marooned on the the ghost ship. Hee <laughs> hee. And and so they're there and they're like, you know what? This ship is in good enough condition that we can fix it up a little bit and we can ride this thing out it, on itself. You know, we don't have to get another ship. And so as they're doing that, one by one, they start to die all in very like creative ways. One man thinks he sees the lounge singer from the 1950s that was killed and she lures him to an empty elevator shaft or uh, like the leader of the group, he gets trapped because he, he gets kind of possessed for a second and he punches somebody, they knock him out and they put him in an empty fish tank that used to be a feature in the ship. 
And then they come back like an hour later and the fish tank is full of water and he drowned and died. So one by one, right, they start to die. And, and the fun part about this is you find out that the ship is haunted, but only because the person that hired them for this job is actually the devil. And he's collecting souls so that he can, like, I don't know, have lots of power and stuff. He just gets joy out of collecting all these people. But he's killing them so he can take their soul. And the reason that he hired this group was so that they would make the ship seafaring again because it was starting to sink like sink and become damaged and it just wasn't suitable anymore um but you know you can't you can't sail a, a sunk ship and so you know there's a whole fight blah 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 and then the the only person that survives is like the lead lady and she gets saved because they do manage to like get her off the ship and but turns out of course you can't kill the devil even though you thought she did and so then he ends up like just coming back for like a second and she's like on the gurney and she's like hooting and hollering and then he's like haha and he just gets back on the ship and then the movie ends <laughs> that's crazy it is it really is like it's pretty silly um but i liked just kind of the the because it does have big like 2000s energy but it's pretty good so um there is another twist in the movie but it's not really related to ghosts so i don't care that much it's more related to crime which is kind of less interesting so <laughs> there's another movie that i really really love and i thought of it like almost immediately once i kind of decided on ghost ships and it's about a haunted submarine which is super fun because i love haunted enclosed spaces very creative so there's a, a World War II submarine, and it's, uh, oh, actually, you would love this, timely. It's a World War II submarine that you find out is haunted. So they're just minding their business, and then they end up saving, I believe, three people from a sunk hospital boat. And they're thinking, oh, it's just a casualty of war. You know, thank God for this submarine. Now we'll be on here, and we'll get dropped off at next port, and we'll go from there. But as they're on the sub longer and longer, all these spooky things keep happening. Equipment goes wrong. People see and hear things. There's only so many people on a submarine. It really isn't that big. And come to find out, they're cursed. And the irony is that the people they saved were also, like, the they put them there. So basically, the, the three leading people of the submarine, they fucked up. They fired torpedoes at what they thought was an enemy vessel, but it turned out to be a British hospital ship, and they sunk it. And everybody died except for the three people that they ended up saving like two days later. And so because of that, at first there were, you know, three uh, leaders of the submarine, and then one of them was actually murdered after they torpedoed the hospital boat because, of course, one wanted to tell the truth and the other two didn't. And so you have these three survivors vessel. You have a ghost of like some captain terrorizing the two leaders that are still on the submarine. Everybody's going crazy and people are like dying. Everybody's haunted. People are going crazy and there's nothing they can do because if they surface, they could get caught or killed. 
and I loved it. It was full on ghostiness. It was awesome. You had like full body corporeal ghosts. You had faces in the portholes. You had doors closing. It was nuts. It's really, really good. And I loved it. Um, it was actually, um, you know, those like packs where you can get DVDs that have like eight movies on it and they're all really, really bad horror movies. That's, yes. the, that's how I saw this. <laughs> that's literally how I saw it. And I was like, this movie's great. And I'm pretty sure it has, it might even have Sam Neill, who I love. I love me some Sam Neill. Would I recognize him? Oh my God, 100%. He's incredible. He is um best known for, oh, what's it called? I want to I want to find the name of the character. He's best known for being the archaeologist in Jurassic Park, like the lead oh. one, Alan Grant. Oh, yes, yeah. I know him from yep. definitely Jurassic Park cuz he was great, but I love him in Event Horizon. He plays yeah. like one of the main characters there. Um he was also in a really really messed up amazing um Lovecraft movie. Um he was in a rendition of In the Mouth of Madness um in 1994 was really good yeah it was so dope um but he also has like other parts such as being in like daybreakers peaky blinders he was in thor ragnarok um he does like all kinds of stuff but i think he's great he plays absolutely crazy like nobody else it's really it's really great yeah event horizon is genuinely fantastic absolutely one of my top top favorite movies ever it's like it's like this like lovecraftian low-key eco horror sci-fi space horror movie with like it's a little bit about like human mortality but it's a lot about just gross 80s gore and Lawrence Fishburne so that's cool yeah it's awesome it is so good um, so I'm, I kind of think he's in Below, but I'm not positive. I'm trying to look it up right now. Below is also from 2002, which is pretty great. Oh, no. Okay, so the person that I always confuse Sam Neill with is this guy named Bruce Greenwood. He's in a lot of stuff, too. And you know what? I think I don't trust him because not only does he tend to play bad guys, but he also played the husband in Double Jeopardy. Have you ever seen that movie? I haven't seen that one either. <laughs> I I guess I I personally don't recommend it, but um, it is a really good movie. <laughs> I gotta be honest, like it's good, but it's like not <laughs> it's not like amazing. But it's basically um, it's like a movie with like Tommy Lee Jones, and I thought it was Jodie Foster that was in it, but apparently not. So now I'm just disappointed, and you definitely shouldn't watch it. But <laughs> it's basically like like um, so Double Jeopardy, like as like I guess a noun, is when like you can't be tried for the same crime twice. And so this guy fakes his death and frames his wife so she'll get imprisoned and he can take custody of the son. Like, she's been tried and convicted of, oh, yeah, yeah, so she's been tried and convicted of killing her husband, right? And then she finds out her husband is still alive, so she goes and she kills him. <laughs> That's awesome. I know. It was, yeah, it was really good. And it does have Tommy Lee Jones, and I, I really like him. Um, yeah, I love Men in Black. Oh, my God. Oh, that movie shaped me, frankly. Like, everybody mm-hmm. hates Will Smith. I don't. 
I don't hate Will Smith. Yeah, I love those movies. I know. Ugh. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so Below was awesome. I definitely recommend it, especially because you've been, like, engaging in so much World War II stuff. It's really fun to watch. I'm also just a really big fan of, like, a mixture of horror and military history. It's really fun. Like, that's one of the reasons why I love Hellboy so much. Hellboy is my favorite superhero, like, ten toes down. I have so many Hellboy <laughs> DVDs and comics. It's ridiculous. Okay, so my last little little topic is um, this book that is definitely one of my probably top three favorite books by my favorite author, Darcy Coates. Shouts out. Um, and... Of course, all I do is talk about Darcy Coates because that's all I read is Darcy Coates. Yeah. I've read like every single book she's ever written at this point, except for maybe like her newest three books. Um, but I have a stack of books on my desk right now. And let me tell you, I have the next two days off. It's all I'm going to be doing. In the description, I'm going to say Darcy Coates super fan. <laughs> No, literally, Brendan's like, you're the biggest fan, right? And I'm like, no, there's plenty of people in the Discord that are more nerdy than me. And he's like, in the Discord. You're in the Discord. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, you got me there. <laughs> I know, yeah. But it's so, it's so great. Like she's she's just great. And so, and another like thing that I love is just the fact that she always has, like, almost always has a female lead and there's like never ever any romance it's like so rare for there to be romance um I think it's only in like one series of three books that there's like a romantic arc I haven't read any romance in any of her other books and that is just so refreshing like please please just give me the ghosty and the gooblies don't give me kissing I'm bored so Darcy Coates, right? So when I found out she was coming out with this book, I literally lost my mind. I pre-order her books, Val. I pre-order years in advance sometimes. Oh my God. <laughs> so then when you pre-order, then I'll just get an email saying, hey, um, thanks for your purchase. And I'm always like, it's happening. <laughs> so then it's automatically downloaded to my Kindle and then I can just read it in two days like a psycho but <laughs> and it's like she hasn't even thought of what the book is gonna be yet no literally it's like just the title and the cover art that i'm like sold <laughs> but this one is called from below so you can always already imagine it's some kind of subterranean or you know underwater situation and when I found out she was coming with this, I was so thrilled because genuinely my two favorite genres of like any kind of like movies, TV, books, comics especially is like underwater and deep space horror. It's just my absolute favorite. Just something about it is just so cool. And I think it really does have to do with the fact that those are the two places that we just haven't really gotten to explore yet. So the possibilities are just so endless. And I'm also definitely biased towards monsters. Shout out, uh, was that was that movie Beneath with Kristen Stewart? That was awesome. Yeah. Oh my god, I freaking lost my mind at the end. I was so excited. I think I rewatched that scene like four times. Yeah. Like I was thrilled. <laughs> yeah, I'm she like, was this... awesome. Oh my god, she was so good. It was really good. It was really quite compelling. 
But yeah, so this one, right, From Below by Darcy Coates, it basically talks about another one of those like teams. Um, but this one, I believe, is, if I remember right, so this one follows a team that's basically uh, going through this like recently discovered wreckage, and it's like a TV crew because the person that was hired to basically go through and document the wreckage is like one of those famous like sea ocean explorers and stuff oh and so yeah and so it's basically like you have a couple cameras you have a couple people going down you have one person up in the ship making sure all the equipment is running and everything is gucci and so they go down into this ship that they recently discovered and something is just off with it something feels bad um, and they can't place it for like the longest time, but they're going through the motions. Uh, the leading lady is, you know, doing her job. She's doing it well. She's going through. She's discussing sort of the different things they're seeing, different layouts of the ship that they've all studied. And they just sort of go through and map it out. But as they go through, they start to find corpses. They start to find things that shouldn't be there, uh, such as like dust and silt when there shouldn't be any or sometimes rooms are crystal clear when there's been movement um and then they start and then like like one by one they start to notice that the bodies are moving not just floating but moving on purpose and they're moving in like directions and and so you're kind of faced with like they're kind of like ghosts but they're more like zombies and the thing that I loved about this book in particular is like, because when I think of a ghost ship, I think of people that die at sea on a ship, just very, you know, shallowly, I guess. And, um, but this book sort of proposed the idea of a ship being haunted before it even touches water. Because, yeah, that's terrifying. Yeah. And so so you kind of go back and forth because in the book, right, you have present day where you have this team that's going through and documenting this find. And they're very conflicted because people are starting to become really sick. One of the members of the crew has a seizure. And so she can no longer be a part of the team. Another member of the crew um, becomes incredibly, increasingly paranoid, almost to the point of not being able to function. And then like two members of the crew are pretty sound but they start be like seeing the movement before anybody else because they're the most experienced divers so they're going deepest into the boat and so they start to see all these bodies and and the thing about the bodies is that they're not really decomposed like they should be due to the dark and the pressure and the salt and uh and uh, the bodies are like always in really weird positions which I thought was a really fun kind of detail um because you would always kind of think of bodies as being limp but I love the idea of like like this like one time the the leading lady she like swims into a room and there's a body like vertical in the closet and then like another one appears from behind the door and it's like oh okay I mean technically that could have been there but like also was it always there how did it get there why was it in the closet like it's very ooky spooky um but what I did like about it is like you're you're with the team for parts of the book and then other parts of the book you get to basically read about how the ship was made what happened what happened to the people that were on the ship and oh, reading I love that oh my god I loved it so much and like reading like mm -hmm. the 
and and reading those sections especially when they go back in time you really kind of get this feeling that the ship itself is alive and that it is something happened to these people and it's very like full of conjecture but in my opinion what i think happened is like you have all of these people on this ship and the ship was made too quickly and improperly and there ended up being like bodies inside of the ship like in the walls and so i think that that's part (laughs) of like the haunting but there's also this aspect of this like like omnipresent being that's like slowly consuming people and like consuming their sanity and yeah there's like a whole fog involved it's basically like like everybody starts to go crazy nobody knows what to do and nobody can see anything because there's a fog that's so thick it's even permeated the hallways of the ship so there's a lot of like supernatural elements to it so it's kind of like even even when the ship was sailing and full of people it was haunted and now that it's sunk at the bottom of the ocean it's super haunted and it's like the more life and the more oxygen especially that that the that the humans bring onto the ship the more active the ghost corpses are oh wow yeah that's it's awesome a, yes it's like seriously Darcy Coates is very creative like I think it's so <laughs> dope I thought it was so cool it was a really good book and the thing too about like the way that she writes is that it's interesting it's creative it's captivating like you want to know what happens next but it's also not difficult like it's not like definitely not like young adult fiction but it's not like Dan Simmons Dan Simmons is so complicated it takes five pages to say one thing you know that man could talk about a glacier for 13 chapters it doesn't even matter But um, but Dan Simmons is also really great. But like Darcy Coates is like Stephen King. Um, if Stephen King was a little bit better at writing, so <laughs> have you thought <laughs> if she's doing any like book signings or anything? I mean, I don't know. Um, I think right now technically she is still actually an indie author, and she's also from Australia. So I'm a oh. little bit out of luck for a while. <laughs> I know everything I love is from Australia. <laughs> yeah. It's messed up. But yeah, that book was really great. And I liked that book because it wasn't necessarily a ghost ship on the surface. It was a ghost ship that was already sunk, but it still had an incredible hold on this small group of people. I definitely recommend it. I also just recommend like anything by Darcy Coates. So yeah, um, I'll have to check them out. Oh my gosh, so good. It's so good. And her book prices are also like super reasonable. I always get them on Kindle and they're usually like four dollars. So I know good. I have to charge mine. I know, right? I keep um like me and Brendan go to Bull Moose all the time and they always have a really good rotation of like new, like brand new horror books. So I do still buy a physical book once in a while, but I try really hard to stick to digital because I just have so many books. I just don't need to buy more physical books. So finally, I want to close with a poem by the Soviet poet James Patterson, who wrote this poem after a stay on the MV Lub. Oh, no, I don't think I can say that on the Lub. Oh, no. Yeah. OK, whatever. Lubov or no, I'm butchering it. I'm butchering it. Um, it's Russian. MV Lyubov or or Lova. 
Oh God. I could probably read it, but I, I can't understand <laughs> what you're saying. Oh, wait, let me use the chat function. Oh yeah, Liuba Vorlova. Oh, okay, okay. I just can't do that first word. It's a little tricky. My tongue yeah. isn't cooperating. Yeah, uh, so this ship was also a ghost ship for 20 days, completely unmanned. The only thing that was on it were cannibalistic rats, actually. Um, <laughs> and this ship was really interesting because it was sunk in two, or it sunk in 2013. Technically, that's unconfirmed, but they do have like pretty, pretty uh, convincing evidence that it has. Um but this ship was a basically like a small cruise ship that would go near glaciers. And the people who owned it were doing a lot of embezzling. And so eventually they just literally abandoned the ship, abandoned the crew and everybody. And then eventually the crew was able to abandon the ship. And then they tried three times to tow it out of port so that they could bring it somewhere else to sell the parts. And every single time they tried, something happened. Whether the, the tow line snapped or something happened to um, the small ship that was towing or, you know, whatever. And so they were going to try another time when they decided it wasn't worth it. So, the, um, but the third time they tried, right, it snapped and then they decided to not reattach. But that basically meant that they just let the thing go in the ocean. They just let it go. And so after 20 days, the sensors that they had affixed to each side of this ship went off and they were only supposed to go off if they were submerged. So one sensor went off one hour, the second sen sensor went off later that day, and then eventually the third sensor went off, which me meant that the entire ship was submerged. They were able to find through satellite imaging, um, I believe, a image of what is believed to be the last remaining lifeboat from that ship. Which I thought was pretty cool. Oh wow! Yeah, so technically it sunk in 2013, but again, technically unconfirmed. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this poet wrote this really kind of beautiful poem, and I remember reading it and really thinking how it it just encapsulated everything about just just the uh, honestly the horror of the ocean. The entire abyss weakly pulses. A characteristic peculiar to it, this apparent calm seems to mesmerize. What awaits us? A stellar expanse of ocean that is as old as all this world. At dawn in underwater space, it is time for us to dive. That, that's, that, oh, that's all I have. <laughs> right? Oh Isn't God. that poignant? <laughs> Yeah, and this is such a fascinating topic. Like, I was also Yay. really into researching the Titanic lately. Yes! Did you find anything, like, particularly wonderful? And I thought it was interesting how there was even one couple on there that was spotted where the wife got off the lifeboat to die with her husband on the Aww. ship. And I was like, oh my god. Yeah, literally, like, I've seen the movie all the way through one single time. Um, I thought it was terrible, but the only time that I cried was when they show the, the ship sinking and they show an elderly couple in bed together and the water is like rising in their room. Yeah. I was like sobbing. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I was yeah. like, Rose lives and they don't. <laughs> 
it's like one of the most distressing things you could research this is like watching the crime scene clean up when I was listening to these documentaries like yeah how so many more people could have been saved how they didn't even need to have this accident happen in the first place Mm -hmm. people were paying more attention and Mm -hmm. wasn't it also like exceptionally cold on the night that they crashed yeah I think it was like they weren't supposed to pass through the waters they passed through Mm. because of the temperature Mm. but they did it anyways oh my god yeah just a lot of corruption which is fascinating in itself um I always wanted it to be haunted but then I kind of realized that like it probably wasn't (laughs) um oh but want to know a fun fact in regards to the Titanic Yes, I uh, I have the luck to be like kind of like friendly acquaintances with a guy named Marty Klein because he does bonsai and he's a really big wig at MIT and yeah. turns out he's actually the guy that created it's either sonar or radar, but he literally invented it and it found the Titanic. Whoa. Yeah, it's like, it's like really crazy. Like, and like, mind you, I found this out when I went to the National Bonsai Exhibition and we were like all at dinner drinking wine together. <laughs> and Whoa. then Joe, yeah. And then like my coworker was like, what? You don't know what Marty does for a living? <laughs> I was like, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm literally, I'm literally going to look it up. Wow, that's insane. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, it's a sonar, dude. Holy macaroni. All right. He received an honorary doctoral degree from the University of New Hampshire for his contributions in scientific exploration, such as research regarding the Loch Ness Monster, helping to locate the RMS Titanic shipwreck and pinpointing the Challenger space shuttle. Wow. Yeah right like people think I'm joking when I say I meet crazy people through the bonsai community but like it's it's wild um he actually recently donated uh, a chunk of his collection to the um I believe the Boston the Arnold Arboretum of Harvard University oh yeah so now if you ever go um you can see some of his bonsai Wow, that was a wicked cool segment. Yay! I ended up jumping around a little bit more than I meant to, um, but I don't mind that much. <laughs> oh, and now we get to decide what to do next. I think now I'm going to do Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared. Ooh, yeah, that would be good. Yeah, I think I'm ready. I think I've recovered from my my disturbing content hiatus. Cl- crime scene cleanup doesn't count. That's like nonfiction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you have um any inkling about what you're gonna do next champ the lake champlain loch ness monster i would love that i don't know a lot about him so i'm kind of excited to see if that has anything to it yeah Alrighty. <laughs> it approaches my bedtime <laughs> okay <laughs> okay Good night. Alrighty. Good night, buddy. Bye.
Columbia. Beautiful, beautiful.